Hello and welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast. As you listen to this message, I pray that you're built up, encouraged through God's Word, and I pray that His Holy Spirit leads you and guides you in the way that you should go. I pray that He gives you answers for your questions, healing and help for your life. Most importantly, I pray that this Word helps you to become more like Jesus and a greater influence for Him in our church and in your world. Now, let's grow together. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church family. How are you this morning? Good to have you in the house. Hey, uh, we've been in a series for the last few weeks called From Now On. We've been talking about, specifically, about you and I and our place and our role in the kingdom of God and how each one of us has the message that God has delivered in the ministry. We've been talking out of 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says that you and I have been given this ministry of reconciliation. And I brought this message because so often people are asking the big question of what's my purpose. And I believe that a lot of times people are focused on a task of what God may have them to do rather than the whole reason he would give them the task anyway, is that we would shine God's light and God's love into every place that God puts us, into every job, into relationships, into family and friends. Um, you know, I don't, I don't come from a generation where everybody knew the Lord. A lot of my relatives came to know the Lord uh, in their later adult years. And so uh, one of the, the most amazing things was listening to stories from aunts and uncles on, on what their life was like before God and seeing the differences in how people would gr- grow their family and raise their family in the Lord and just hear stories of how they used to be. Uh, in fact, I, I, I think of this story. Um, I don't know why I'm telling this. Somebody needs to hear this, but this wasn't in the first service. But I remember one of the stories is about one of my uncles who used to uh, basically just get drunk, and he lived in a bar, and my aunt would load up the kids at 2 in the morning and go to the bar and wait for him to come out of the bar and then load him in the car and then take him home and put him in bed. And it was that kind of craziness and chaos for years. Now, when I met my uncle, uh, he was, I guess, you know, 20 years removed from that. So to hear that story always blew my mind because I just, I, my, my uncle's the most uh, faithful uh, husband and father and just, you know, just a chill guy. <laughs> I've never seen him with his shirt untucked, you know. He's always got golf, golf pants on and she plays golf. Just, just a chill guy. But, but there was a man before the Lord. And then there was the man after the Lord. And I never knew who that other guy was. I just knew who I saw. And so there's such a dis- marked distinction between those who knew the Lord and, and, and those who don't. And here we've been talking about this message that we've been given and this ministry that God has given us, that we're to impact people in that manner, that our life is supposed to be a light, that it's supposed to shine God's love, God's life. And I want to close out this series with this topic today about hope. I'm talking about keeping hope in what God has done. Keeping hope in what God has already done. Why? Because what's often under attack? Our hope. The Bible speaks so much about hope. Paul constantly reinforces hope as part of the foundation of how we're supposed to live. And what gets shaken in life when life starts shaking? Our hope. Right? And we all have hope to a degree that's shaken. We have hope for our kids. Uh, We have hope for a better life than maybe the one that we're experiencing. Uh, if, you have, if you're a Cowboys fan, you have hope for another Super Bowl someday. 
25 years of hope, you know, that's some tested hope. God help them, right? But we all have hope, hope for our friends, hope for family, hope for people. Come on, we have hope for coworkers. When people are going through a hard time, we hope that they come out of it. Like we don't meet people and go, oh, I hope things get worse for you. We hope things get better. Right? Hope is, is necessary for our soul. It's necessary for our mind. It's necessary for relationships. It's necessary to progress in life and move from where we are to where God is calling us to go. And so in Romans chapter 15, writer says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Not be lacking in hope. May you abound in hope. So what is he, what is he praying for? He's praying, he, first of all, he says, may the God of hope. So he identifies God as the one who gives us hope, the one who our hope is in. And then he asks him to fill us with all joy and with peace. Now, what is a, a sure sign when, when someone's hope is gone? What, what other qualities are usually lacking? It's joy and peace. Think about it. Someone who's filled with hope is filled with joy and peace. It just exudes from them. And so he's praying here that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would actually abound in hope, which to abound in hope means we abound in joy and peace. Take a look at your life this morning. Is there joy? Is there peace? And if there is, those are keys to the foundation for hope. You know, one of the... the, the blessings and the challenges of, of pastoring people, especially people, you know, from 20 years ago or whatever is, is when I see people and I haven't seen them in a long time, God, you've experienced this where you, you see someone who's a, uh, maybe an old friend or an old relative and, and it's like the light has gone from their eyes. Like they're here, but they're not here. They're not who they used to be. You're looking at me like I'm zomb- a zombie here, like I'm one of the walking dead. Right? right? You've seen people who, who it's like they've lost that spark. It's gone from their eyes. You know, I know I've walked in seasons like that where people probably saw that in me. But, but this is what this verse makes me think of. People who've lost their joy, lost their peace, and eventually they've lost their hope. And they're living, but they're just kind of existing, not really living. They're going through the motions, paying the bills, doing the, the things that need to be done. But the light and the life that used to move them and motivate them has shifted. It's changed some things. And so I think this is so key for us to look at. Because it, it makes us ask the question, is the God of hope abounding in our life? And if not, why not? What happened? Or what things have happened? And then, is there joy and peace in our life? And if that is not running on a full tank, maybe we need to ask ourselves why. Maybe we need to think about the big picture for a second and say, okay, hang on, what am I putting my hope in? What am I putting my joy in? What is my peace? Is it circumstantial? Is my joy circumstantial? Is it just dependent on the situation? Right, once you have a teenager, forget about it, right? If, you, if your, your joy and your peace are set on kids, uh, on their ups and downs, forget about it. New York style, forget about it. <laughs> because their joy and peace can come and go, and your joy and peace, it, it can come and go. And you can't have joy and peace in your kids. 
as your rock and your foundation. It can't be in your job. It can't be in the economy. It can't be, I was just in Portland a couple weeks ago, $7 for gas. Good Lord, $7. <laughs> Y'all feel really good about the $3 mark right now, don't you? Joy and peace. Joy and peace are, are all often under attack, and our hope is under attack. It's always being tested. And I believe that as God's people, we have to come back to what God's done day after day after day to remember what he's done so that our hope stabilizes. Right? Maybe some of you know about this in some area of your life. I know this about an area of my life, but I know where, where it's like, let's just call them triggers. <laughs> you know what can set you off. You know what can get your hope off. You know what can get your joy off. You know you can get, what can get your peace off, Right? And I think these are key things to look at because if we're not careful, we'll drift in those things for a long time. You know, sometimes you'll see, especially during hurricane season, the news will shine the camera view from the helicopter on some house where people are on top of the house and the river's risen or the waters have risen and people are camped out on that house and they're waving for somebody to help them. Sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a man and a woman or a man and his brother. Sometimes it's the kids that are with the family on top and they're stranded and they're stuck up there on the house. And then they interview them and they ask them and they say, you know, how did you make it? They say, we just kept holding on to the hope that somebody would find us. We just kept holding on. Like there was no guarantee. What stabilized them was hope. When joy was gone, when peace was gone, this is crazy, the wind's blowing, the storms are coming. We don't know if they're going to find us. What held them? It was hope. And we hear this all the time. We hear this when, when people are in situations. And life feels like that sometimes. It feels like sometimes you're the only one on top of the house saying, does anybody see what I'm going through? Does anybody feel what I'm feeling? And a lot of times the answer is no. Outside of God, other people don't. You ever got mad because people don't know what you're going through? Okay, parents, you get mad at your kids because they don't know how hard you work? <laughs> don't you know how hard I work for you? Don't you know? Blah, 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 blah. You, only, you didn't even eat the Pop-Tart. <laughs> I pay for those Pop-Tarts. I work for those Pop-Tarts. <laughs> I'm four, Dad. Uh, what is work, right? Sometimes we're expecting... Come on, you expect your kids to know the price you've paid to get where you are, and they don't. And they don't when they're teenagers, and they don't when they're young adults, and they won't until they're further on in life, paying taxes, mortgage payments, insurance, and maybe start asking some questions like, how did you do this? I held on to hope, <laughs> and I held on to God. See, sometimes I think we're trying to get hope from people. Hope from people understanding us. Hope from people understanding our circumstances or our situations. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it, it describes hope as a, at Jesus as a, a trustworthy anchor for our soul. This is what it says about Jesus, that, that he is a trustworthy anchor for our soul. Now, what is an anchor known for? Obviously, it's, it's known to keep a, a ship from drifting somewhere, right? Whenever people go up fishing, they, they, they put an anchor in the water so that the, the boat doesn't move, 
Ships at the harbor, there's an anchor to keep it from moving. They tie it up. Why? It's to keep it from drifting, right? And often, when hope has drifted, it has to be resurrected. It has to be resurrected. Like there's some seasons where you go through in life where you will lose hope, but it has to be resurrected in life. But I'm telling you, it can't be resurrected with something surface and superficial. There's only so much a bonus check at the end of the year can do. There's only so much a vacation. There's only so much, uh, some little breakthrough. There, there's something that has to anchor us, and the Bible says that Jesus is a trustworthy anchor for our soul. That's beautiful to know. Let us read this again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by your strength, not by my strength, not by Daniel's preaching, not by how close the church is to your house, not by how much money you made this week, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound, be overflowing, be filled with hope. How can we give hope to others if we have no hope for ourselves? How can we be life and light to others if we have no life flowing through us? How can we be an example of joy and peace to other people in tough circumstances and difficult situations if we carry no joy and peace in ourselves? And then when it goes, we don't care to guard it or see it resurrected. Some of us need to come out of the graves we've dug ourselves into. We buried our joy. We buried our, our hope. We buried our peace. And we're existing. We're not living on purpose. Existing. And the light that was in your eyes, it's not there anymore. You got to get that back. And somebody besides me has to be concerned about that. You have to look in the mirror and see what God has done and see how far God has brought you. Realize where you were, where you were six months ago, where you were two years ago, where you were six years ago. Come on, how often do we forget the goodness of God? How often do we forget what God has already done, where we could have been? You know, when people say, oh, I could be dead in a ditch somewhere. I literally could be dead in a ditch somewhere. I know that. Who's with me on that one? Okay, a few crazy people in here. All right. <laughs> we could be dead in a ditch somewhere, right? Hope is precious. Joy and peace are precious. And we need to place a higher value on those than our feelings. Joy is something I've got to carry. Peace is something I've got to carry. The Bible says that we can have peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it, it, it doesn't compute to the human mind. How can this guy have that kind of peace? How can she have peace in these circumstances? Look at all they're going through. Look at what's happening in their life. That's the kind of peace that God says surpasses all understanding. That's a maturity someone's carrying. That's something where someone has drawn a line and said, the enemy's not taking my joy and he's not taking my peace. And he's certainly not taking my hope. But if he's taking your joy and he's taking your peace, guess what's next? Your hope. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 tells us how to keep our hope on the work God has done. Because it gives us a full picture view of who Jesus actually is. Let's read in verse 15. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, everybody say, but now. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. That's how God presents you. Holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. God reconciled you. He, he brought you into right standing with God through Jesus Christ. And now, from this moment and that moment that it happened, you and I now stand in his sight as holy, without blemish, free from accusation. Free from accusation. Now, how many people are not free from accusation that you know in your life? They live under the weight of their mistakes. They live under the weight of their past they live in, under the weight of what they could have done, should have done, haven't done. Yet in God's eyes, in their eyes, that's who they are. But in God's eyes, he sees them as holy, blameless, without blemish, free from accusation. What are you living under this morning? What kind of accusation from the enemy are you living under? What kind of lies are you living under? What I want us to grasp this morning in this first point is that this passage gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is. Let me finish reading it before. I... Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul's saying, this is the message I become a servant or a slave to. This message of hope in the gospel, of hope in who Jesus is. My joy and peace is in this message of who Jesus is. It's not in my circumstances. It's not in what's happening. It's not in, in what I can gain or what I can lose or what I did or what I can do or what I used to do, or what I might do. This is where I'm stabilized. He's saying, this is where I'm anchoring my hope, in the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of what he's done. Now, this passage gives us the, an image of Jesus that, that, that I, I pray we hold on to more than anything. Out of this message, I just pray you hold on to these verses. And let this be our first point. Embrace the authentic image of Jesus. The authentic image of Jesus. Because, because in our world, just as there has been for the last couple thousand years, there's counterfeit Jesuses out there. There's misrepresentations of Jesus. In fact, I would go as far as to, as to say I myself have probably at times been a misrepresentation of Jesus. Somewhere, somehow, to somebody. Not always been at my best. But there is a true, authentic Jesus that we're called to follow. And he's not a Republican, and he's not a Democrat, and he's not a Libertarian, and he's certainly not a Cowboys fan. He's, 
He's not a Texans fan either, but he's not a Cowboys fan. But there's an image of Jesus that I think we're often wrestling with. And I think that sometimes it takes us sometimes years to get out from under who we think he is to really know who he is. See, when Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't follow me so you arrive. It's follow me so you learn. It's not follow me to a destination. It's follow me as I take you into what's next. Which means I've got to know what step is next according to his steps. The direction he turns. So we have to embrace the authentic Jesus. There's counterfeits out there. How do we do that? Through, through time spent with him, through his word, through experience, through, through years. I, I don't figure this out overnight. Right? I've been, I mean, I've been preaching for a long time. I, I feel like I know nothing about Jesus. <laughs> I feel like I know this much. And it actually feels good because it makes me dependent on pursuing him, not assuming that I know everything. Don't assume that because I preach with passion that I assume I know everything. I'm preaching with passion about what I've learned and what I know, what I'm experienced in and what his word says. But there are things I haven't been taken into just as much as you that I will learn who Jesus is, experience who he is, right? So I think that the first misrepresentation we often get confused by is, is the one we've come up with about who Jesus is. Who we think he is, right? The, the second one is how other people have represented him. How other people ha- have created their vision or their image of who Jesus is. You know, some people think he's just out for revenge for your past. Others think he's like a genie in a lamp. He's just there to make everything happen for you. Which one's real? See, these, this passage here that Paul's talking about gives us clarity on who he is. And he's majestic, and he's glorious, and he's eternal, and he's powerful, and he's thinking a lot bigger than just giving me the awesome parking space when I go to La Cantera. Are you with me? Oh, Lord, give me a close parking space, because I don't, I don't need, Lord knows, I don't need 45 extra steps today. So give me that close parking. Oh, look, he did it. Won't he do it? Amen. Glory. Won't he do it? I mean, it's great when he does, but I don't think he got up in the morning and he goes, you know what, man, Daniel needs a parking space. He doesn't need to burn any more calories at all. I've got this. I don't think that's his priority. I think it's more, let's see how Daniel is when I don't give him this parking space. (laughs) Let's see if he practices what he preaches. And with the traffic out there right now and the construction on 1604, I'm getting a lot of practice, a lot of practice. So you can follow Jesus through success, and I don't really think that's a great achievement. Can you follow him through disappointment? Can you follow him through what you thought would happen? Can you follow him through someone's misrepresentation? Can you follow him through things not going the way you thought they would, right? Which is what? Most of life. Most of life, right? See, God is trying to build stability in you. Like his words are not coming in to just be a band-aid. They're coming in to stabilize life. He's, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. So when his words come in, they're meant to anchor you. They're meant to not just to make us feel good, 
right? How many of you have ever felt good after a church service? You, you walk out, you feel encouraged, you feel full of life. Beautiful. That's not all it was about. It was to stabilize something in you that was drifting. Hope that was drifting, joy that was drifting, peace that was drifting. Jesus wants to stabilize that. Why? Because Jesus is trying to replicate the authentic version of himself in us and through us. But first, he's got to get it in us. First, we have to see ourselves as without blemish, holy, free from accusation. You can't have joy and peace if you think horrible things about yourself. You can't. You'll never be happy. You'll never have joy. You'll never have peace. You'll always be dissatisfied with yourself. There's always some level of something that you're not hitting and you're some place you're not reaching, some, something you're not meeting. And if, if your standard is you, you'll always be disappointed. When the standard is Christ and we've already arrived in him by his grace, then all I have to do is continue to follow in him. And if I continue to follow him, he's going to lead me into what's next. Right? Number two, we have to understand what Jesus has done for us. This is what verses 21 and 22 are doing here. It's, it's helping us to understand that his work was specific to us, specific to you, specific to your need. And, and in Galatians chapter 6, Paul gives this great outline to people. This great, it's, it, I'm going to read this from the, the message paraphrase. It's so beautiful. But I think it really helps us center in on maybe what God is asking us to do through this message today. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Now, if I just stopped right there, how many of you could just take that and run? Like, oh, I can, I can handle that. A careful expo- I could get introspective today. Yeah, I could do that. Look inward. What needs work? Like, we, we love to improve ourselves, so that's not the hard part. The hard part is not looking in the mirror and saying, what needs to change? What needs to be fixed? He says, look at the work you've been given. Okay, well, we can attribute that to, to the gifts, the talents that we have, maybe the purpose that we have. Look at, at who we are, what we're working towards, raising kids, getting out of debt, moving forward, making decisions. Okay, we like that part. And then he goes, sink yourself into that. Oh, okay, I can handle that. Dive into my goals. Go hardcore. Get serious about what God has put in my life. Now, how many of you could say we could end the message right there? Let's <laughs> say that, that's a good, solid catalyst for this next season of life, especially after all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years. But look what he goes into next. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't be impressed with yourself. And then don't compare yourself with others. Right? What are the two most dangerous traps? <laughs> Pride, <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Pride and comparison. Pride means I got here on my own. I'm the man. Comparison says I'm not enough. I'm never enough. Pride and comparison. So we saying don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. What is he saying there? There's no excuses. No excuses. Take what's in your hand. Take what's in your heart. Do the absolute best you can. See, if every season in your life must be a harvest, you're never going to be happy. 
If you can't handle the valleys and you can only handle the mountaintops, if you, if you can't handle the famine, but you can certainly handle the harvest, you're never going to be happy. Because life, life is not always this one continual harvest. And even when it is in one area, sometimes there's another area that's suffering. That's the challenge. Sometimes you give yourself to something so passionately that something else starts losing. The key is not to let that thing continue to be lost along the way. And once you recognize it, to bring things back into alignment. See, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, sometimes our hope is lacking. Our joy and peace are lacking because of what we see in ourselves. Yet, God reaffirms us that his power has given us what we need to live this life, what we need to do this life, what we need to be able to do what he's called us to do. And he's done it not because I'm awesome, but because he's great. He says he's done it by his own glory and by his own goodness, which what makes my worship more pure. Like, how could I come in here and worship with reckless abandon, hands raised, passionate, if I know I'm the one who got myself here? If I know that I have no faults that nobody knows about. <laughs> if I come in here with, with a mask, if I, if I don't come in here to worship, I might be worshiping myself. So he says, his divine power has given you what you need. How much time do you spend thinking about what you don't have on the inside, wrestling with those voices, those things that say you're not going to make it, you don't have what it takes? You should look back every once in a while and just say, thank you, God, for getting me this far. I could have wrecked this. I could have wrecked this. Do you ever do that? I do that all the time. I do that. You know, I, putting your trust in, in people is very risky. You putting your trust in me as your pastor is very risky for you. What's he talking about? I could lose my mind. Leave the wife, leave the kids, move to the Bahamas, live on a nudist beach. And then you would, you would go, what, do you go to Grace Have anymore? Oh, man, no. Did you hear what happened? What? The pastor lost his mind. What happened? Yeah, he's like living naked on some beach, drinking margaritas. Left Janelle. Left the kids. Can you believe this guy? What he used to preach? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Every city in America. And people lose their faith over it. Please don't put your faith in a building. Please don't put your faith in me. Please don't put your faith in your job. Please don't put your faith. Find the anchor in Jesus. And like those people on the roof, hold on when the storms are blowing. I'm not moving to the Bahamas, by the way. Like, I'm not. Number three, continue in your faith. This is what he's saying in verse 23. When he says in, in verse 23, if you continue in your faith, he's saying it in this manner, assuming that you're going to continue in your faith. <clears throat> assuming that you're going to continue in your faith, established and firm, and you don't move from this hope. In other words, you're anchored. He says, this is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I read this story 
couple of weeks ago about these three guys who their boat sank and they were ho- holding on to a couple of, I don't know what it was, like something, but they tied them together. It was enough to keep them floating. They had to float for, I don't know, a couple of days or something like that. And they're getting bitten by sharks. They're getting stung by jellyfish. All kinds of craziness is happening, you know. And when we put ourselves in that position to think of what they were going through, I don't think we give ourselves a realistic, realistic view of what that would be like. Because we think, oh, that would be really terrible because we'd have to fight off the sharks and fight off the jellyfish. Yes, hour after hour after hour after hour. Like after three hours, my hope is gone, right? Your hope is gone. And these guys were doing that. And, then they, and you know, thankfully they were rescued and they were, they were found. But, you know, they had to keep hope while nothing was around. Blackness was around. Darkness was around. Silence was around. Nobody was around. And they were tested. And life will test you that way. Life will test you that way. And you'll look for people to be around, and they're not. And it's not because they're against you. It's because they're going through their own stuff. Or maybe they just come out of their own stuff. Or maybe they're heading into their own stuff. And we're looking at people. And how often are we disappointed with people because they don't provide us what God has freely already given us? They don't give us the love we need, but God has given it. They don't provide us the assurance that we want from them, but God has given it. They don't provide us the compassion that we want, yet God has been compassionate to us. See, we would straighten ourselves out so emotionally if we would just look back to Jesus and keep our hope in him. See, hope is not a feeling. I want to close with this. Hope is not a feeling. It's faith in the one who's already established the ground that you're standing on. Hope is not a feeling. It's not what you feel. It's, it's Jesus. It's, it's what he's done. It's the hope that he's stabilized us in in his work that's already done. Last time, I'll read this verse, Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, with all peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We're not talking about abounding in some fake hype enthusiasm. We're not talking about getting in a huddle like before a football game and bouncing up and down and hyping ourselves up for for the fight that's about to come. We're We're not talking about a physical hype, a mental hype. We're talking about something that is so precious called hope that Jesus has already done. You don't have to hype yourself into it. You just have to embrace it. Embrace it. Take hold of it for yourself. Maybe your grandmother had faith. Maybe your mom had faith. Maybe your dad had faith. But have you taken hold of your own hope and faith for you, for your journey, for your kids, for your future, for your dreams, for your decisions? Have you taken hold of that hope for you? Can I pray for you this morning? Lord, this morning I pray that we'd be people who abound in hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that joy and peace would return and be established and be kept not just in our spirit, Lord, but in our our mind as we see your goodness in all that we do. And in all that you've done, Lord, I thank you for the work that is done. 
that now because of you, because of your work, we stand holy in your sight, without blemish, free from accusation. Lord, first and foremost this morning, let people who still see themselves according to who they used to be, if they're in you, let the truth be established today in their heart. Once and for all, for them never again to resurrect what has died, but to live in the resurrection of what's new, new hope, new life, because you've reconciled them to you through your work on the cross. Lord, I pray for a restoration of hope. Whatever people are walking through, whatever their journey entails at this moment, whatever they need prayer for, whatever the weight they come in here with, Lord, thank you. To refreshing hope in us. Lord, for people who've lost the light in their eye, the joy and the peace that was, God, I thank you that you are one who refreshes and restores. Restore joy, restore peace. Restore life, God. Let them breathe in this morning the life of truth according to who you truly are, the authentic, real you. I'm going to ask everybody to stay in this morning. Hope is not a feeling. Hope is faith in the one who's established us. And this morning, I want to ask you, where is your hope? Is your hope in Jesus? That which is eternal, the only thing that will last. You know, you can go to church for a long time and in a sense almost coast on other people's faith. Time comes where we have to put roots into the ground for ourselves and the journey that we're walking on. And make sure that the first things are first. So before we go any further this morning, if I could just again ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. This morning, if Jesus has not become the center of your hope, become the Lord of your life if there's still something else or someone else that often finds itself in place of his rightful place, today we can change that. Today we can set our heart, our sights, our soul, our hope in him. And I'd be honored to pray with you about that. If that's you this morning, you're saying, I wanna center my hope on Jesus. I want him to save me. I want to turn from the way I've been living and trust him. Come into his kingdom. Come into his life. Repent of the sin that's been holding me captive. And trust him with my hope, my future, my heart, my eternity. If that's you this morning, would you lift your hand so I could see who I'm praying for? God, we serve a God who saves. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of hands. Too many for me to count this morning. You know, when I'm 
asking you this question just so we're clear. This is not a prayer that is something that we owe God. This is about receiving the life God has already given, the gift of salvation, his freedom. So as you pray this, you're not paying God back for anything. God's paid the price. And when you're praying this prayer, you don't owe God like back taxes on your life. You're set free. He's not making you start off in the red or in debt. He's giving you new life because he's forming a new covenant with you. So church, would you pray this together with me? Lots of hands today. Lord Jesus, today I give you my life that already belongs to you. And I receive your salvation, your hope. You are the truth. Forgive me, Lord, for going my own way. I trust you with my life and this gift and opportunity you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray that that word blessed you. If you'd like to know more about Grace Avenue Church or want to know more about how to be a part of what God has called us to here in the city of San Antonio, or if you'd like to sow financially into our vision and mission, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks so much for listening. We hope to see you soon.